How's everybody doing? It's great to see you. Hey, uh, let's start with some good news. On Thursday, I signed the closing papers on a piece of property. We officially own it. Yeah. That's something. And man, it has been a long time coming. Because uh, for those of you that know, but for those of you that don't know, um, we started this church 12 years ago in, in a house. Um, in, uh, some, some of you know Mark Smith, some of you don't. Uh, we started our, our church in, in uh, Mark's house, and uh, it was my wife and I and five people. Uh, Mark was one of those five people. Uh, Pastor John Solaroli, who you see up here sometimes, was one of those five people. We, John has one fan. Um, I'll be sure to let him know. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, and, and it was amazing. So we had, that was, um, there was another guy who was part of our church for years until um, he ended up getting married and moving away. And um, so, but still a, a great friend. And then uh, another couple that flaked out after the first week. Um, and so then it was my wife and I and three people. And I thought, man, this is going in the wrong direction. Uh, pretty soon it'll be my wife and I then pretty soon it'll be just me. And, uh, and then who knows what'll happen after that. And, uh, but anyway, so we, we actually met there until after uh, we, we moved to um, uh, the courtyard in Miami Lakes, which was a room that was about one third of the size of this stage. Uh, and that was the whole meeting room. Uh, in fact, there, there was a sign on the wall that said maximum occupancy, 25 people. And uh, we ended up uh, having two services in there, but you could, it said 25 people, you can actually cram like 80 people in there. So we started having two services in there, uh, which was amazing. And, uh, and then after that, we moved from the hotel to the movie theater on Main Street in Miami Lakes. And uh, some of you know this story, but probably of all the, the service, uh, all the, the, you know, three or four years that we met there, probably the most famous Sunday is the Sunday of what's called the Easter Squirrel. And uh, that was when there was a satanic squirrel who actually, um, you know, we were getting ready for three services and um, three Easter services, and then uh, all the power went out. And so we find out, we we went, and uh, it turned out that a squirrel had bit into this transformer, and uh, little more than meets the eye there. And, uh, And anyway, that ended up just wiping him out. And uh, so he died. This is, I took a picture of the Easter squirrel. That's him. Don't feel bad. I'm pretty sure he went to hell. Because um, uh, he was conspiring with Satan right up until his death. Uh, anyway, uh, some people get upset by that. I don't know why. I had somebody write me on a, uh, a bulletin. They're like, you know, you think you're a comedian, but you're not. Which I would have been offended by, except they spelled comedian wrong. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I just kind of move on and just pray people get hooked on phonics. Um, but anyway, um, so anyway, so, but the thing is we did three services. So then all the power went out and then we, <laughs> we had no AC. I mean, it was like 10,000 degrees in this movie theater. Uh, and it was three really full services. And we had so many people come to know Jesus that day. And I don't even know if I had anything to do with the preaching. I think it had a lot more to do with people thinking, if hell is anywhere near as hot as this theater, I need to know Jesus right now. Because there's air conditioning in heaven, I'm sure of it. And uh, so anyway, from the theater, we ended up moving to a high school um, in, in Miami Lakes where we met there for a couple of years. But then something happened. Um, I, I started asking some questions about this area, about Miramar. 
And I started driving around saying, where are the churches in, in, in Miramar? And, and here's what I found out. Uh, there aren't any. And over the next two years, uh, two and a half years, I must have met with at least 100 pastors who were thinking about planting churches. And this was the question that I would ask them. I would say, would you think about planting a church in Miramar? This is a great area. I can't believe no one's come and planted a church here. Uh, you know, from like Red Road all the way west, there's nothing. There's, there's really no churches. And um, everybody said no. And then, and I, and I just like, you know, come on. I mean, you just, why are you, why is nobody coming to this, to this area to plant a church? And, and after all this time, I started to think, you know, I mean, if uh, we started to pray as a leadership team thinking, if nobody will come here, maybe we're supposed to go here. And, um, and so about just under um, four years ago, um, in fact, uh, it'll be four years on Saturday that we launched the campus here in, in Miramar. And um, we, uh, so we had two campuses. We had a, a campus in Miami Lakes. We had a campus meeting in this high school. And um, little did we know that it would be six months after that, that the, the principal of the high school in Miami Lakes would say, hey, you guys have always paid your rent on time. You've made the school better uh, since you've been here. You've been model tenants. But by the way, we're not renewing your lease. Uh, and so then we, we said, well, what are we going to do? So we decided to consolidate everything here uh, in Miramar and then get serious about finding a permanent location. And little did we know that it would be uh, three minutes or, you know, three quarters of a mile away that we would actually find uh, the property that we would, event- that we would call uh, home now in the future. And uh, it has been an amazing ride to see what God has done over these last 12 years. But I have to tell you that I am more excited about the future uh, because I firmly believe with all of my heart that the best is yet to come. You with me with that? That the best is yet to come? Yeah. Now, before we start talking about all the exciting stuff in the future, and I start showing you pictures that everybody's going to go crazy over, um, I, I want to spend a couple of minutes celebrating um, a campaign that we did that ended uh, about six weeks ago that we called Blueprint. When we started uh, Blueprint, it was uh, October of 2011. And here's what we said. We said, now's a great time to buy uh, a piece of property, a building, what, whatnot. But you got to have, you know, resources to put down as a, as a down payment, escrow, closing costs and all that. And it's unfair for us to say, hey, we found a great piece of property. Oh, and by the way, we've got to come up with $300,000 in the next 90 days. Um, so let's, let's all do that. And uh, instead, we said, what if we actually took a, a more reasoned approach and said, we know this day is going to come. So why don't we just get ready for it? The problem is, is that I didn't have any pictures to show you. I, I, didn't have a, an, I didn't have an address to give you. All we had was just a vision, a vision of readiness, a vision of preparedness. And, um, you know, by God's grace, all of us came together and uh, uh, about $287,000 was raised um, over the course of uh, 15 months for Blueprint um, for, to f- fund this vision of just being ready. Little did we know that there was a property uh, waiting for us. We had no idea. And so, sure enough, about three months into the Blueprint campaign, a property came available right off Pembroke Road. We put a contract on it, and uh, that deal turned into a nightmare. Some of you guys know that story. And um, we ended up getting out of it. (coughs) What ended up taking place was that there was another piece of property, the piece of property that we just bought. We had looked at that property about 18 months ago, probably now almost two years ago. It was before we'd even started Blueprint, and they wanted $3 million for it. 
And we thought, hey, this is a really nice property. If it were $3 million, you can keep it. Uh, and so we said, hey, let's go in another direction. Once we canceled the, prop, the, the contract, got all of our money back uh, for the, the property uh, on Pembroke Road, we started looking again. Well, that $3 million property had come down significantly in price. So we went back to them. They wanted one, now what was $3 million was $1.7 million. And we said, hey, you know, we'll, we started negotiating and it ended up being uh, $1.475 million that we agreed on. And it was half an acre bigger than the other property that we had a contract on. So we were all very excited about that. <clears throat> the other thing that made this property so good, and some of you have heard this before. Some of you say, oh, I think you have mentioned that before. So this is a little refresher. Um, is that this was owned, this property was owned, it's owned by the Lutherans, the, the, that denomination, because their goal was to, they saw Miramar as a growing city, which, uh, you know, over the last five years has been the fastest growing city in Florida and the third fastest growing city in the United States. And so they said, you know, we, 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 there needs to be a church that ministers to people moving here and living here. And uh, so they tried to start a church on this property and it didn't really go anywhere. Uh, it never grew beyond, I think, 20 or 30 people. And, um, but they already, they did all the hard work of working with the city and getting, um, the, the property zoned to a, for a church and all that kind of stuff. And people ask me, what's it like working with the city? I don't know if you've ever seen the show Parks and Recreation. It's just like Parks and Rec without the jokes. Okay. So that's kind of what it's like. And, uh, so anyway, so we, we, we walked into this property saying we don't have to go 15 rounds with the city to get the zoning changed and, uh, all of that because someone else already did it. Then we started doing all of our surveys. We found some muck on the property, and we said, hey, you know, there's some muck on here. We're going to have to demuck some of this. And um, so, you know, there's a defect, and, and we need to work on that. So uh, the part that I haven't told you is, is that before we signed on the dotted line, we got the price reduced another $225,000. So this $3 million property, we just signed on for $1.25 million, um, you know, which is amazing. Now, you know, this happened because, uh, because we were ready. Because uh, we were listening to the Lord, because you guys were listening to the Lord, and you followed his lead, and many of you sacrificed uh, to Blueprint. Can I just ask how many of you were involved in Blueprint in some way? Yeah, listen, we want to honor you and thank you um, for all, uh, everybody who, who was involved, because we're taking this step because there was a whole bunch of us who sacrificed in the previous step. And then, and so, you know, we all kind of stand on each other's shoulders as we, as we move forward. And, um, and so, you know, that's where we're holding this piece of paper. Hey, we've got the deed, we own it, and, uh, and we're ready to step into the future. And so what I want to do is talk about the future and what does the future look like. And so um, I thought the best thing to do, uh, you'll see, here, here's the first picture we'll show you, which is, this is the area, um, and this is... Uh, we're, we're right here. Uh, that's where the school is. And so then it's literally, uh, it's three minutes and that's for people that drive really slow. Um, but if you, you know, anyway, uh, drive somewhat normal, uh, you can get there probably a little quicker, but it's like a mile or less <coughs> from where we are. And, uh, this is the property right here. And, um, so we wanted to show you, um, what the property is going to look like. So this is the site plan for the whole property. Um, right there. Let me move over so you guys can see that on the side. Um, now that doesn't sound like a group of people that have been meeting in a high school or movie theater or for the last 12 years, but maybe you'll catch on. Um, you know, 
uh, when I saw, this is like, you know, seeing your bride on your wedding day. Uh, but anyway, maybe you weren't that excited uh, when you got married. Think, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, all right. Um, now, let me just explain a little bit about the site plan that you're seeing. Uh, the first is some of you, I'm blocking your view and I greatly apologize for those of you that are here. I'll try to move over and then I'll annoy them in a little while. Um, so uh, what we're doing is you'll see right here, this is going to be what we're calling phase one. And uh, what I'm going to show you, this is the whole master plan when it's all said and done. Uh, this is an auditorium that seats uh, about 800 uh, restrooms, lobby, and then this is going to be uh, nursery and toddlers. Once again, our goal is to keep the uh, really small kids close to mom and dad so that even if they are, you know, they're in the auditorium, they know that the kids are just a few feet away. Um, you'll see these sails right here. It's kind of hard to see, but this is a children's building. And um, this is all different size classrooms, different uh, all around here. That's the first floor. The second floor are all administrative offices. So that's where our staff is going to be. There, you're going to see this, uh, this big kind of open plaza area. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then this third building is a, a youth uh, cafe uh, and then adult classrooms for classes that we'll do and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then this will also be a multi-purpose room that we'll use for overflow and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be, you know, youth, overflow, cafe, classrooms. There's a lot of activity that's going on here uh, on this property and then uh, you'll see there's a park here. Uh, there's going to be a little prayer garden here in the back. You'll see all the parking here. The, some of this is grass parking and then parking all around. This is a, ni a nicer view of the property right here. Um, that's what it's, uh, it's going to look like. Um, yeah. Now that's a response. All right, I'm going to stand on this side so these folks can see what I just, uh, what I just, you know, what they missed last time. Now, the thing that, um, uh, the thing that you didn't see in the in the other uh, on the site plan is right in the middle. I showed you these three buildings, but I want you to see right in the center of the property, in the center of the activity, is this giant cross. And uh, for us, that's a big statement uh, that everything we do is centered around the cross. That everything we do is centered around the gospel. And uh, at the very base of this, um, at the very base of this cross is an outdoor baptistry uh, for people to be baptized. And then you'll see, um, you'll, and by the way, this has huge like theological implications, you know, by his stripes you're healed, washed in the blood of Jesus, all this kind of stuff. And uh, we'll do the study on that some other time. But um, there's also, you'll see this, the water will come out and there, this is, will all, the, the walls of this will serve as a bench for people to, uh, to sit while that's happening. You'll also see out here, um, this water feature will continue. I don't know how many of you, how many of you have been to downtown Disney here in Florida? Most of you? Okay. Um, or as my niece likes to call it, fake Disney. Um, well, at fake Disney, you know that uh, in between, uh, if you've been there, kind of all the way on one side, you'll see uh, there's the Earl of Sandwich. And if you haven't eaten there, I mean, you know, don't die yet because you've got to go there. And then there's that, and then there's this uh, place called Once Upon a Toy. And I know I'm a total geek for knowing the names of all these places. But in between there, there's this water feature that, you know, those little jets that the water shoots up and all that. Well, that's what's going to be happening right here. Uh, and so there's going to be this, this opportunity for kids to take their shoes and socks on and then run in here and get all wet and then get back in your car. And, uh, you know, 
So they're gonna, they're gonna, you're going to love that. Um, but the whole thing is people drive by here, and this is an open area. You know, one of the things that I see happen, and I've been on so many church facilities, is that it's like they, it's like a, they create these fortresses that nobody can get into. And we wanted to make a very different statement that it's like, hey, everyone is welcome. Uh, God loves you. This isn't something that's closed off, but we, we're inviting you. And uh, the line of sight is you're coming right through here, right to the cross, because that's what's going to happen here is, as people hear the gospel. Uh, I, I really like this picture. This is what it looks like at night. Um, I like that one a lot. And uh, now... Um, let me show you, um, let, let me see the next slide. Uh, that's, a, that's a computer model of what it would look like. Uh, you kind of get a better feel of the cross, the baptistry, and then the water feature there in the front. The next one. Uh, okay, that's what it looks like from the back. Um, okay, here we go. This is the floor plan of phase one. Because what we're doing is we're not building all three buildings at once. Uh, what we're doing is we're taking this in three phases. And so phase one is going to have to house everybody. And so that, uh, while ultimately this, the auditorium will seat about, um, <coughs> will seat about eight, 800 to 850 people, what we're going to do in phase one is this will be a smaller. It'll seat about 550 people. And then some of this space, like all this area, is actually children's ministry space. And then administrative offices are here, conference room, and then the cafe is here. And then we're going to have some tables and just some fellowship area here out, out in the front. Now, um, this is one, uh, there's another, can we see the next slide? This is a nicer way to look at it. Um, you might like it better that way. Uh, and you can really, you can really see it. It's going to look just like that, except it'll have a roof. Because, um, uh, you know, if not, we're going to hand out sunscreen. Um, but you'll see, you know, sound booth and then all of this. And then these are all uh, children's classrooms. Same thing, administrative offices here, conference room, restrooms, and, uh, and, and all of that. And so now two questions that I know you're asking because you see all this and you say, hey, that's awesome. Question number one, when are we moving in? Um, now, <clears throat> right now, the timetable that we're on as we're working with the city and giving them everything that they need. Uh, the way that the city of Miramar does it is they ask us to really front load a lot of, uh, they ask for things that are called elevations, you know, all the different heights of the, every section of the building, how tall is it, uh, and, 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 and all this stuff. And so we have to share all of that with them. We've got to give them color schemes. We've got to give them uh, a schematic design of what we're building on the inside uh, just as a layout. And then they give us, those comments back. So that's about a two and a half month process once we get approval for that. Then once we get that approval, we go in and we do the, what are called MEP drawings, which are mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. And then um, we go in, they make comments, we re resubmit, they make comments. We, re you know, anyway, that's kind of how it goes till they say, hey, it, it looks good. And then they give us a permit. Right now, our expectation is uh, probably about September, October to have uh, an actual permit to start construction. And then it'll take us about nine months after that to, to do the construction. So right now we're looking at um, August or September of 2014 as a moving date, which is about 18, uh, 19 months from now. And so that's, uh, so that's what we're looking at as far as a, a moving date. Um, you know, the first service was really, uh, really very excited about it. I, I get on the first service because I say, you know, the second service is so rowdy. Um, but anyway, first service... 
first service was was really, really excited about all this. Um, you know, I, I realize I realize you're missing like seven hours of pre-football coverage. Um, you know, uh, so for two teams we don't care about, and we really could care less who wins. Um, and and a year from now you won't even remember who played. But um, and if you don't realize it, think about this: who played in the last three Super Bowls? You won't even remember. Um, anyway. Uh, so that's the first question. When are we moving in? Second question is, hey, this looks awesome. How are we going to pay for this? Uh, and I'm really glad you asked that question because uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, the foundation that we're working with that um, essentially is a fund that funds um, projects for churches. Uh, they operate in, in the exact same way as a bank, uh, but they just all they fund are church building projects. Um, they're loaning us $1.5 million for the construction of phase one. What you just saw as phase one is about, uh, is a $3 million project. So that leaves us about $1.5 million to raise uh, over the next two years to move into this, to move into this building um, and really, you know, have a place to call, to call home. And that's why today, one of the things that we're doing as we talk vision and talk about the future is we're kicking off a brand new uh, campaign that we're calling Coming Home. And Coming Home is a 24-month campaign where we're going to raise the resources that we need to build phase one of this master plan. And we're calling it Coming Home for two reasons. Number one is because it's coming home for us. Because we're coming home. We've been wandering for 12 years. By then, it'll be uh, almost 14 years. Um, and we're going to be, we're coming home uh, to, a place we, to a place we can call our own. And, but the second thing is, uh, just as important, is that we're coming home because this is a place where our community is going to hear the gospel. They're going to have an opportunity to come to know the Lord and come home to God. And this is why um, it's, it's so important. Now, here's the reality. The reality is, is that we're the only church out here. Uh, there are no other evangelical churches in, in this area of Miramar. If you go all the way east, you can find a couple. But you start going uh, west, certainly west of 75, certainly west of Flamingo, certainly west of 57th. I mean, there's just a huge area where there are just no churches. And so, I mean, I, I met with two pastors this week uh, who said, man, we would love to partner with you in, uh, in, in serving the city as these guys want to come and plant a church in Miramar. And they said, you know, we just... There's no places to meet, um, and, and they just can't doing it, and they're actually moving somewhere else uh, to serve a different city. And this community, th- th- this community that we're in right now, needs a church like ours now more than ever. And I tell you all of this, and the reason why this is so important is because God has uniquely placed us here. There's nobody else. And that's why this next step we take is so important. You know, we experience something so amazing here at Calvary. We see people come forward and give their lives to Jesus every week. Some of you, you came to know Jesus. You came forward. You came, in, this, in this facility, you've, you came to know the Lord and God's changing your life and doing an amazing work in your life. But can I tell you something? That what we experience every week and sometimes maybe even take for granted every week doesn't happen everywhere. In fact, I was, um, a couple years ago, I was looking at a, uh, there was a f- church facility that was for sale and uh, so a couple of us went to look at it, and it was a more traditional church, but they were a smaller congregation, and it was, the building was a little too much for them. 
And so they were getting ready to move. And behind the pulpit, it was kind of a traditional church where we would have this screen. They had a baptistry. So I went into the back and was looking at the baptistry. And what I found was all the water was drained. And all they had in there were boxes and painting equipment. Like buckets of, you know, five-gallon buckets of paint. And then, um, you know, poles with rollers at the end. And I'm like, isn't this the baptistry? And they said, oh, yeah, we haven't used that thing in years. So we just use it for storage now. And I thought, man, what we experience doesn't happen everywhere. What we experience, listen, I think there are churches that if they saw this happen one time a year, I mean, they, they would be freaking out and think revival is broken out. And yet we experience it every single week here at Calvary because God is doing something very special uh, in us, doing something very special in, in our city. And, and listen, he's chosen us. He's chosen us to be the group of people that reaches the city. Now, my friends, that is a sacred trust and a sacred responsibility that we've been given. Because not only are we the only church in this area, and maybe there will be other people who come in, but we certainly will be the only evangelical church who has a permanent facility in this area. And my friends, that that uniquely positions us to reach more people and to make a greater impact for the gospel. And you know this if you've read the scriptures at all, that Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. And if that's our responsibility and that is the sacred trust that we've been given, let's talk about this. Let's talk about, I mean, how do we raise $1.5 million uh, to complete phase one and and move in? Now, here's the first thing that you don't know uh, that I want to fill you in on. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had some meetings with some of the leaders here at Calvary, some of the people that are very involved and just shared some of this vision with them, shared some of the fit pictures, shared some of the stats, and just said, hey, this is, this is what God is doing. And um, 50 of us, just 50 of us, got together uh, uh, that were part of these meetings. And, and I asked them, and I said, hey, I'm giving you this before we give it to anybody else, and I'm asking you to, to pray about it and make a commitment to this, uh, this coming home campaign. And within just 50 of us committed just over $300,000 for this, uh, for this, for this campaign over 24 months. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, here's the thing. <coughs> that's just 50. I mean, and, and there's, there's, there's a few hundred people in this room right now, not even including the, the couple hundred people that were in the first service and the, the hundreds of people that come to church here that, that aren't here now. And so when we think of, hey, 50 people committed 300, that only leaves 1.2 million for us to raise as a church. I mean, that shouldn't be a huge stretch based on the number of people that call this church home. Now, what does it look like? I'm going to show you a couple of different charts and say, well, how, how do we get there? Now, let me show you this chart if I can. Uh, let me go to the next one first. Um, is how do you get to $1.5 million? Is you have a whole group of people, 100 people giving $1,000, 50 people giving 5000 25 people giving 10000 six people giving 25000 three people giving... 50,000, two people giving 100,000 and one person giving 250,000. And I don't know if, if you are, are, are anything like me. Sometimes we look at big numbers and we think, man, boy, I'd, I'd love to do something really significant. But boy, where am I just going to come up with $250,000 out of thin air? Well, here's what I think we do is sometimes we sell ourselves short on and we think, man, how do I do this in one blast when really... Um, there's the, the opportunity to do this in a way that's, that's little by little. Now, if we can go back to the slide before that, uh, let me show you what, what this looks like. If a person just said, hey, I want to I be involved in uh, the coming home campaign, 
and give $100 a month more than my normal giving. So a, a, more than my, my regular giving. That's a person that's giving almost $2,500 for this, for this campaign. And, the, and you're saying, man, I, I didn't realize I could do that much over the course of two years. If a person said, hey, I want to give $200 uh, a month for 24 months, now they're, they're almost giving $5,000. $300 a month for 24 months is $7,200. $500 a month for 20, is $12,000. $750 a month for 24 months is $18,000. You get the idea. And so the whole, the whole point is, is sometimes we think of the big number and we say, man, that seems like a lot. But if we just kind of break it down into what could I do every single month, um, it, becomes something very, it becomes something very manageable. Now, let me show you something else, because one of the things that I think challenges us, and I'm going to tell you a story about how this worked in my own life. Um, l- let, me, let me show you. Um, I think sometimes one of the things that really challenges us and motivates us is to say, hey, I want to commit to this number, but what exactly am I committing to? I mean, what does that actually translate into? Now, let me show you the next slide. Um, the next slide. There we go. Sorry for that delay. Um, if someone said, hey, I want to give $500 to the coming home campaign over the next two years. What does that buy? It buys 10 chairs. It buys one installed light fixture, one set of bathroom accessories, one installed ceiling tile in a bathroom, and, and two uh, installed landscape plants. If someone gives $1,000, it's 15 chairs, one installed baby, station, baby changing station, the fire extinguishers, and one uh, 10 by 10 section of interior wall. If someone said, I want to give 2000 over the course of the next 24 months, you get 40 chairs, half ton of HVAC, one installed window, a 10 by 10 section of exterior wall, and one installed door. A person who gives 2500 over the course of, uh, of two years, one installed plumbing fixture, five lighting fixtures, and one parking space. Now, you won't get your name on the parking space, but you'll be able to, it, it will be a parking space. Now, sorry, uh, $5,000, check this out, this is the thing that's amazing. $5,000, it's one installed uh, glass doors, installed glass doors, one ton of installed steel, property survey, uh, one installed parking lot light, and children's class furniture. That's the, at that $200 a month um, for, for the 24 months. A person gives $10,000, that's a projector and screen, exterior sign, irrigation system for landscaping, 25000 stage monitor system, closing costs and fees, uh, in infrastructure for audio, visual, and lighting systems, civil engineers, painting, permitting fees. $50,000 is all the floor finishes, all the environmental graphics, the plumbing system, and the sprinkler system. And a person who gives $100,000, it's half of the electrical system. And I don't know about you, but uh, I actually find that that helps me because I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what will that actually, um, what will that do? You know, my, the commitment that I make. And I'm actually going to ask the guys now, to come forward and, uh, and hand out the cards that we're going to give everyone. And while they do that, I want to tell you this story. Uh, when my wife and I, when I was just an interning pastor at, at the ripe old age of 24, 25, um, which was uh, seven, eight months ago. Um, no, uh, <coughs> uh, when I was an interning pastor at Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale, um, the, they were moving from one building to another. This is about 1997. And they... They said, uh, they asked, you know, they, this is the same thing. They asked everybody to commit to this. And they gave out a sheet that looked like what you saw just now. And what happened with this sheet was is that it had a list of what everything was going to cost. And now here's the cool thing. 
is that my wife and I, I mean, I was an intern at the time. I mean, we, were, we, we weren't doing, you know, making like, uh, it was like next to nothing. Um, and so we looked at uh, that whole list and, and we actually came to something that we thought was like, hey, we could do this. And uh, it was the cost of all the nails and the screws that it would take for this 120,000 square foot building that was being retrofitted. And, I, and I, Carrie and I were praying about it and we said, you know what? How cool would it be if we said, hey, we're going to buy all the nails and all the screws for this, for this, uh, for this property? And, uh, and we did, and that was our commitment. And, you know, every, every other week we were committed to that and, and being, being part of that. And so, and here, here's the thing that, w- that was so cool is that um, at the end of, this, at the end of the, this whole thing, I mean, we, we did it. We had no idea how we were going to do it, and, and God, uh, God did it. Well, the last time I, sp- uh, I got, you know, Bob uh, Coy, the pastor, uh, who's a good friend of mine, he called me and said, hey, I'd love for you to come up and teach. So I came up to teach, and he and I had dinner before, uh, before the service, and, uh, and we were talking about buildings and construction, and I told him the story that I just told you about how, you know, how God led us to, to you know, when we were there to make a commitment to buy all the nails and the screws and, and all this, and it might not sound like much, but there's, it's like thousands of dollars worth of nails and screws. So I told him that story, and I said, so I want you to, rem- every time you walk through here, I want you to remember I'm holding this place together. So, um, but here's what I want to do. Um, is that I want to take a moment or a few moments and I want to spend some time talking about the first building project in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open with me to the book of Exodus chapter 35. And if you don't have your Bible, you have your Bible app or whatever, um, open that uh, to Exodus 35 because that's where we're going to begin. And there's some things I would really love for you to see it. Um, You know, so get your phone, get your iPad, whatever you've got. And uh, we're going to start in Exodus 35. And we're going to look at verse 4. Here's what it says. <coughs> Pardon me. It says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linens and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, uh, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that's going to happen. That I want, the first thing I want to show you. Um, the children of Israel were asked by God to bring an offering for the construction of the tabernacle. The children of Israel had just had left Egypt where they were slaves. They were on their way to the promised land, but in between that, God wanted to establish a place where they would meet, a place where they could connect with God, a place where they could congregate, where they could have fellowship, where people could pray for one another, where people could have their needs met, where they would hear from God, be taught God's word, and their lives would be transformed. Now, here's the thing that's, um, even after they go into the land, they still didn't build the temple for another 450 years. So this uh, this structure was the place for now, um, you know, almost half a millennia of how they, these guys just connected with God. This was the place where they met. So from this moment, about 450 B.C. until about 950 B.C., um, that's where, until the temple was built, this is where the people connected with God. But these people who had just been, come out of Egypt, they, were, they had been slaves, they didn't have anything. They had grabbed some stuff on their way out of Egypt, and now God is asking them to say, hey, um, this is what's going on. So if you're taking notes, here's point number one. Um, And that is that everyone was invited to participate. 
They were asked of God, but I want you to notice something in verse, uh, verse 5. He says, take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. Whoever is of a willing heart. Because no one wants something to be done out of compulsion. Um, I, I don't want you to feel like, as we talk about this, that you're feeling manipulated or pressured. But listen, if you're going to be part of this, I want, you to, I want it to be because it's out of a willing heart. It's because there's a desire that God is stirring in you and speaking to you and working in you. The Bible says it this way. The Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, But this I say, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will always also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as we talk about the future and the commitment that we're, we're called to, understand that the first step in seeing our future become a reality starts with each of us. It starts with the heart and with our hearts being willing because we aren't going to get from here to there uh, and you aren't going to be involved in us getting from here to there unless your heart is willing because you know this and I know this, that everything begins with the heart. God calls them to build this tabernacle. Moses challenges everyone to participate and says, hey, this is what we're going to do. If you want to participate, this is what it takes. And then watch what happens. Now go down to verse 20 of the same chapter, and here's what we read. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came, notice this, whose heart was stirred, and also in everyone whose spirit was willing, And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, red red skins, uh, for those of you that like football, uh, of rams and badger skins and brought them. And everyone uh, who offered an offering of silver and bronze brought the Lord's offering and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of service brought it. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing. The first thing that happens is Moses speaks to the people and everyone is invited to participate. The second thing that happens in this story is that everyone was stirred to commit. What I love about this story is that the people freely brought their offering to the Lord for the building of the tabernacle. It wasn't out of compulsion. Instead, it was out of a response to the fact that God had freed them from slavery and bondage and God loved them. It was a, re- it was a response of God's love and action in their lives. When we started the Blueprint campaign, um, I, I was telling my daughter about it. My daughter just turned six, but she, this was just before she turned five. So this was, you know, 15, 16 months ago. So she was uh, still four at the time, almost five. And I told her about this, and she said, Papi, I want to help. And I said, well, how are you going to help? And she said, I will do a lemonade stand. And, uh, and I said, okay. And uh, this was the most godly lemonade you could imagine because that lemonade stand, in about two hours when we did it, earned about $400, um, which was, I mean, yeah, it was amazing. My daughter was the first person to give to Blueprint. Um, and she gave that $400 gift and, um, and she was only, she wasn't even five yet. And you know, in this, this group of 50 that I've already committed, I've already heard of people that are thinking about how they're going to use their gifts to, to, to reach the commitment that they've made. And people are going to sell stock and 
assets and cars and garage sales and host dinners and do all kinds of stuff because they're looking at the duration of this 24 months and saying, you know what, um, I can use my gifts and do some creative things to make this vision become a reality. Here's what some people said. Hey, I'm getting a tax return. Um, I'm getting a tax return check, which is money I wasn't even expecting. So I can use that for this year. I can use it for next year and then still make a commitment and, and use that as part of what I'm going to do uh, with, with coming home. Um, my wife and I, and, and listen, I, I, I'm going to tell you this. Um, and this is why I tell you this, because I really believe that if I'm the point leader here and, and I'm the senior pastor here, then I need to lead the way. And so I don't tell you that. This is, this is nothing uh, to clap about or anything. Please don't. But I'm just telling you that my wife and I have made the biggest financial commitment that we've ever made to anything. Um, I mean, we're committing more to coming home than we actually spent on our first house. Um, we, are, we are that committed. And it's not like we could write the check today. But we just know that uh, we're going to get creative, take on some things, do some extra things. And we know that God is, go- is, is going to do it. Because we watch it. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a second. And so, you know, the idea is not just, hey, what can I give budgetarily? But how can we employ our gifts uh, to do something great in this campaign? And I want to show you the third thing that happens, which is they give. Moses gives the call and invites everyone to participate. Everyone's heart is stirred by the vision of what's going to happen. And then look what happens in, uh, in chapter 36, starting in, in verse 2. It says, Then Moses called Bezalel and Ahoyalab, and every gifted artisan whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. And so they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. And then... All the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, and each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring, check it out, much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. Verse 6, And so Moses made a com- gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp. And here's what he says, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people, I underlined this, the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work. And here's what he puts, indeed, too much. I mean, that's an amazing thing. That the people were so moved by this vision, so gripped by what God had done in their lives, that they gave so much that Moses had to tell the people, please stop Giving. Bet you never heard a sermon on that before. Uh, please stop giving. It's way too much. I mean, you know, for us, for us to do. And this is why, this is the third part. And that is that not only was everyone invited to participate, not only was everyone, um, were their hearts stirred to commit, but the third thing was everyone was involved in the result. Everyone was involved in the result. What's amazing about this story to me is that they had to act, Moses had to tell the people to stop giving. And I've been thinking about this for a while as far as how that works. How do do a people become so incredibly generous that they have to be restrained from giving? And um, what I I realized is, is that these were a group of people that God had literally saved. They were slaves in Egypt. And God saved them. God freed them. 
And so their response, when they said, hey, God has done so much for you, now is your opportunity to do something for him. And it's almost like they were chomping at the bit to do something. We've been waiting for this moment. God has done so much for us, and this is our moment to now do something for him. Listen, can can I just tell you something, that the same reality that they experienced is the same reality that we experienced? Listen, I don't know about you. I owe God everything. I wasn't looking for God, but he was looking for me. And I don't know why, but he was looking for me and he saved me. And over the last 20 years, he has transformed my life. And I am scared to even think about what my life would have been like had he not tracked me down and grabbed hold of me. If you've come to know Jesus, then here's what you know. You owe him everything. He's saved you. He's transforming your life. And this is the opportunity that we have to do something for him. You see, that's why coming home is a journey of faith for all of us. Because as we commit to it, we see God show up in our lives like never before. Um, And and let me, um, if I can just share a personal story. When my wife and I were making the commitment um, for, for for the Blueprint campaign, it was the biggest thing we had ever done in our lives. I mean, we had, um, I had never even spent that much money on a car uh, that we had, that we made that, that commitment. And, and we said, we know God is leading us to do this. And we knew, I mean, it was like instantaneous. We, we, this, we knew we were going to do this. And we're like, this is how much we're, you know, God, this is what God wants us to do. And, and so, and we committed to it. No, because we knew God was leading us. And, um, you know, that was in um, October of 2011 I had no idea that within just a couple of weeks of that I was going to get a phone call from a publisher the third largest publisher in the United States and they said hey uh, we've heard about you and uh, we'd like to talk about you you doing writing some books and us publishing them and uh, it was a few weeks after that that we met and it was a few weeks after that that I signed a, con- a multi-book contract with them and uh, just the first two books was, was uh, half of our blueprint campaign. And we had no idea. You see, um, and this is where, and, and God opened up opportunities for me like I've never seen in my life. And we, at, we, 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 when we made the decision, we said, I don't even know how we're going to do this. And we ended up finishing our commitment six months early. And, and, and listen, we saw God work in our lives like we've never seen him work before. And listen, and here's what we learned is that this was about so much more than raising money. Coming home is about so much more than raising money. It's about God raising his kids and teaching us to trust him more than we thought possible. If my only factor, if my only factor for making a commitment to Blueprint, uh, for, to, to coming home, was looking at it and saying, what, uh, what can I do with my budget? I would have missed it. But instead, we decided that it wasn't just a budgetary decision. It was a faith decision. It was a statement of faith to say, because here was the question we were asking, how big is our God? How big is our God? Is he the God that's, that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? Is he the God that, can, that no mind has seen, no ear has heard, hasn't even entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those that love him? And if that's the case, then then we just responded with radical generosity because our God is big. My question is, is your God big? And see, you know what caused these people to respond with radical generosity? The core of it? You know what it wasn't? Oh, I'm going to give this because then God will love me. 
That wasn't their motivation. Oh, I'm going to give this so that I can go to heaven. That wasn't the motivation. Guess what? God had already saved them. God had already told them and shown them that he loves them. God had already promised heaven to them. It wasn't like they were doing it to get. They already had that. It was simply a response to radical love. That they said, God has done so much for me. This is my opportunity to do something for him. One of the things that people ask is they say, well, so then, uh, you know, because I, I, I already give here at Calvary. Should I just take all that and direct it just to coming home? Uh, and I would encourage you not to do that. Uh, if you're someone, you know, like us, that we're already, you know, faithful givers and tithers, um, you know, coming home is really above and beyond your, your normal existing giving. Because if everybody gave to coming home, we wouldn't be able to continue to do ministry like we're doing. You know, and, and biblically, tithing is undirected giving to the church. Offerings like these are directed giving for specific purposes. So here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God um, to just really give you revelation and clarity and wisdom on what you're supposed to be involved in in, in this campaign. Um, because there's something that I just can't get away from. This group of people in the tabernacle sacrificed. These, they had nothing. And yet what they gave was more than enough. And, and yet it was like generation after generation after generation after generation was worshiping there and was reaping the blessing of someone else's sacrifice. And that's just the reality of life. We always benefit from the sacrifice of others. This church got started. I told a friend of mine that we were starting the church and he handed me an envelope. Inside it was $1,000. And he said, go down there get the stuff that you need, start having church because that community needs uh, someone who's going to preach the gospel. When we, some, I told the story just recently that when we um, didn't have a sound system, I was borrowing one and I could only borrow it for three weeks and then the people needed it back and we didn't have any, a sound system. We were meeting in the hotel and we said, what are we going to do? And I got a call from a guy uh, in California that said, you know, it was a bunch of boxes that were, it was, a, I got a call from a pastor here in town that said, hey, there's a bunch of boxes of yours sitting in our, in our lobby and we need you to get them. And it was a guy who heard from another guy that was friends with another guy that I knew. So, was, I mean, this is like a crazy story, but he heard we were starting the church and he just, God put it in his heart to just buy us a sound system. He had no idea that we needed it, no idea that the timing was absolutely perfect, but God knew. He's never been to this church. And yet his sacrifice has made it possible for thousands of people to hear God's word every week. When we were meeting in the hotel, people sacrificed so we could buy the necessary equipment to move into a movie theater and turn it into a church. When we outgrew the theater, there were people who sacrificed so we could move into the high school that we moved, in, moved into. When we were in the high school, people sacrificed so that we could buy the equipment to start meeting here. And enjoy the ministry that we all enjoy now. And the point is, we always benefit from the sacrifice of others. The reason we're here is because other people have sacrificed before so that we could be here. And so what I'm asking for each of us is that we sacrifice not just for yourselves and for our kids. That's a given. But for the people that don't have a voice yet. Countless people in this community who don't know the Lord 
who are living in despair, living lives that are broken. Their homes are ready to fall apart and their children are walking away, going in the wrong direction. And there's a God who loves them. And he's placed a group of people, us, in this town at this time to do something amazing. Because we are on the verge of doing something so significant. You know, someday we're all going to get old and we're going to look back and you're probably not going to remember most of the stuff that I've taught you. You're certainly not going to remember all the dumb stories I've told you about crazy things that have happened. But you will remember today. You're not going to remember the, the, what size television you watched the Super Bowl on. In fact, you won't even remember who played. But if you're here, you will remember the service for the rest of your life. And you will remember the commitment that you made. And you will remember being at Calvary on opening day. When a whole bunch of people came forward when the gospel was preached. And you had tears in your eyes and you said this to yourself and said a little prayer and said, God, thank you for allowing me to be part of this. The transformation of a human life people that were headed to an eternity without God now whose trajectory has completely changed and now we're going to spend eternity with him. Why? Because all of us decided to sacrifice. My friends, this goes so far beyond a building. A building is just a tool. It's reaching people, adults, children, and youth that last into eternity. So my friends, my prayer is that we would pray and ask God that we would have a a willing heart, a spirit that is stirred and that we would use our gifts in a creative way for something ama- God to do something amazing through us. I'm going to invite the band to come out at this time. And um, as they do, I want to pray for us. And then we're going to have a time of commitment together. Lord, we want to thank you for your love, for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the sacrifice of others who have, Lord, who have given so much for, to you, but for our sake, for us to grow, for us to be saved, for us to hear the gospel, for us to be transformed. And Lord, now when it's, when it's our turn, may we experience the blessing of partnering with you and seeing this vision become a reality, which isn't about sticks and bricks. It's about people and families and kids and moms and dads and teenagers and tweens and babies and toddlers and seniors and single adults, couples, whose lives you want to impact because you've placed us in this place at this time for this purpose.